Dragnet. The Jack Benny program. I'm that man. Matt Dillon, United States Marshal. George Burns and Gracie Allen. Good evening, friends of the Inner Sanctum. We offer you Escape. Follow Miss Brooks. Suspense. Richard Diamond, Private Detective. Fibber McGee and Molly. The Great Gildersleeve. Radio Theater. In the air. Dedicated to man's imagination, the theater of the mind. You know what our call letters WGN stand for, don't you? WGN Radio Theater. The special three-hour presentation with Carl Amari and Lisa Wolf. All right, about six minutes after 11 p.m. here on the WGN Radio Theater. I'm your host, Carl Amari. Program 399 in the series. And to my right, the vivacious Lisa Wolf. What's up, Lisa? Hi, Carl. What's going on? Well, I can do the math and one more show right. is 400. That will be tomorrow. Sunday night will be our 400th show. And you know so, why I can do the math? Because I heard Roger was going to throw us a party tonight. I don't know, but I uh, the reason why, uh, maybe let's ask him. Is, uh, Roger, are you throwing us a party tomorrow? I'll throw you something. All right. <laughs> well, we're looking forward to it. You'll Thank have to you, go Roger. Deep, deep, deep to catch it. But yeah, I'll throw you something. <laughs> well, we'll be here till two o'clock in the morning, and we are going to play three classic radio shows for you. We'll start things off with sort of an action intrigue adventure program with Cloak and Dagger, starring Raymond Edward Johnson from 1950. Then it's the Milton Berle Show. Yes, he had a radio show. He wasn't just Mr. Television. He was also on radio, Milton Berle. And then Orson Welles stars on Suspense in the Most Dangerous Game. That is your lineup till 2 o'clock in the morning. But first, we're going to play our game, Is It Real or Is It Ridiculous?, sponsored by Cat's Pride. Yes, the celebrity is one of my favorites. I met him recently, Jeff Garland. Oh, he's great. He's fantastic. And yeah. we are going to be giving away uh, two tickets, uh, lawn tickets, to Ravinia on July 21st. All right. So what caller would you like? Uh, we are going to be going for caller number five. 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 All it's right. a big night. So give us a call, 312-981-7200. Call now. We'll be right back. Uh, we've got Jimmy on the phone to play the game. Hey, Jimmy. How are you doing? I'm great. How are you doing? Not doing good. Terrific. Glad you made it through. You were caller number five, and we're going to do a little Real or Ridiculous with Jeff Garland. You ready to play, Carl? Yeah. All right, Jimmy, here we go. Number one, he was born in Alberta, Canada. Real or Ridiculous. Real. Mm, I agree, real. I'm so sorry, but he was oh, born in man. Chicago, oh. which is why I said that. <laughs> well, you're off She's to a good start. very tricky. Number two, he had a cameo appearance in Austin Powers, The Spy Who Shagged Me in 1999. Real or ridiculous? That's real. I heard it on the Cubs game. Oh, really? <laughs> I'm agreeing with Jimmy. Uh-huh. Jimmy, I just want you to know you are right. But the whole time I was saying the question, Carl was nodding his head no until you said it. So, well, Carl, that's you why can thank Jimmy. I rely on Jimmy. That's right, you do. <laughs> Number three, his voice was heard in the Disney Pixar film Toy Story 3 as Rex. Nah. Uh... <laughs> Clearly, Carl knows no, not of what real. he speaks. What do you think, Jimmy? Uh- my wife says real. Oh, I'm going with uh, Jimmy's wife, real. Jimmy, Jimmy, don't go with your wife. Oh, man. 
he wasn't d- Toy Story 3, but he was Buttercup. Oh, boy. Oh, so She's close. She's so, so sneaky. Close. You know, the good news, Jimmy, is you have a fantastic prize. You have won a pair of lawn tickets for Vinya. It's on July 21st. And you know what you're going to see? Who's that? You're going to see Ghostbusters celebrating its 35th anniversary with the score played live by the Chicago Symphony Orchestra. Nice. And you'll join our very own Dean Richards, who will lead a pre-concert discussion. That is fantastic, July 21st. So congratulations. Thank you very much. You are so Thanks, welcome. Jimmy. Thank you so much. All right. He's a big winner. And uh, so our listeners, because it's classic radio time, we have three classic radio shows for you till 2 o'clock in the morning. Cloak and Dagger, Milton Berle, and Suspense. Uh, don't forget, folks, we have a text in line, 312-981-7200. And we absolutely love getting your text. While these classic radio shows are on the air, we are listening, but we're also reading your texts, and we love getting them. So text us, 312-981-7200. Right now it is time for Cloak and Dagger. This was an espionage and drama show based on the book Cloak and Dagger, The Secret Story of the OSS by Corey Ford and Alistair McBain. And there was a radio rendition that featured fascinating stories of the Office of Strategic Services, the precursor of our Central Intelligence Agency. So these were actual true crime and uh, stories solved by our uh, OSS. And in 1950, NBC decided to air this fact-based espionage anthology with Willis Cooper at the helm. Now, Willis Cooper, Lisa, had brought us prior to this quiet please. Uh, And so he was a, a pro and did a great job on this. Now, this was broadcast from New York, and it featured many of the East Coast's greatest talents, including Raymond Edward Johnson and Joseph Julian, Barry Kroger, Leon Janney, Jackson Beck, and others. In this particular cast, uh, we have a lot of New York uh, actors in there, Barry Kroger, Raymond Edward Johnson, and William Zuckert, Everett Sloan. So let's go back to June 25th, 1950. This is called The Direct Line to Bombers. Here's part one of Cloak and Dagger. Are you willing to undertake a dangerous mission behind the enemy lines, knowing you may never return alive? What you have just heard is the question asked during the war to agents of the OSS. Ordinary citizens who to this question answered, yes. This is Cloak and Dagger. Warfare, espionage, international intrigue. These are the weapons of the OSS. Today's adventure, direct line to bombers. The story of an American OSS agent who, during the height of the war, directed from the streets of Berlin an American attack, is suggested by actual incidents recorded in the Washington files of the Office of Strategic Services. A story that can now be told. (laughs) 
After you get back from a mission, you sit around and there's nothing to do but sit around. So that's what I did. I sat in a room in Milton Hall in England where OSS agents are trained. I thought about the restaurant on 6th Avenue I wanted to open after the war. I was never so bored in my life. Yeah. Hey, uh, Nicky, the colonel wants to see you. Very important. Okay, pal. Tell my pal, the colonel, I'll be there and win the war for him. Da 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 And that was how it all began. November 1944. After that, I didn't have time to be bored. I know you've just come back from a mission in France, Lieutenant, so it's strictly up to you if you want to go out again immediately. Oh, now listen, pal. I mean, uh, Colonel. <laughs> if I have to sit around here and do nothing, I'll blow my top. Uh, you um, speak German, don't you? Well enough to know that Hitler speaks a lousy German, full of grammatical errors. I, if I see him, I'll tell him. Huh? You may be closer to him than you think. Corporal? Yes, Colonel. Send in Professor Warburg. That's how I met the professor. He was a little guy with a beard. He weighed about as much as ten cents worth of liver. And he reminded me of my chemistry teacher back in Lincoln Junior High School. Professor, tell Lieutenant Olesnikos just what you told me. With the greatest of pleasure, Colonel. Lieutenant, I am an escaped political prisoner of the Nazis. And I am here in England illegally. And you just walked into headquarters and told that to the Colonel, huh? Did you know you can be interned? I know that very well. But I can no longer sit by and be idle while I have a plan that I know can help the Allies. Uh, what uh, Professor Warburg suggests, Lieutenant, is that he be parachuted into Germany with another agent, make his way to Berlin... I, uh, I assure you, I can move about Berlin blindfolded. I know it well. Berlin? This could be interesting. What then? Then, with a radio transmitter, we could pinpoint military targets to American planes overhead. We could direct bombs from the streets of Berlin itself. Now, wait a minute. Walk around with a walkie-talkie in the middle of a raid carrying on conversation with bombers? When do we leave, pal? I am ready any time. Today? Tomorrow? Yesterday? The professor may have been ready yesterday, but the OSS wasn't. First, we were briefed for weeks how to get food coupons in Berlin, how to buy a railroad ticket, how to post a letter, how to greet a German officer in the street. Little things, uh, an American cigarette, an English match, a laundry mark, could give us away. And there were big things, too. We were grilled for hours on cover stories. Forgeries became documents. Fiction became fact. Passes, stamps, signatures. Everything authentic, everything ersatz, including my manners and habits. But I was ready to pass as a citizen of Berlin. And then a plane took us high over German soil, and we jumped. Did it, Nicky? Yeah. 
It's only a few kilometers to Berlin. We can walk it, make it before daylight. We should find the farmer who owns this field and say Dankeschön for providing us with so ideal a landing place. <laughs> yeah, we'll send him a letter sometime. Right now, let's get out of here. You will reach where you are. Kindly keep your hands in the air. Unless you want that I blow your heads off. Or that my dog tear you to bits. You've been a good dog keeping so still. Well, as your farmer, Professor, you still want to say Dankeschön? Sit still! Do not talk! You, uh, you have made a mistake, my friend. My companion and I got lost trying to find the road. We, we came by accident on your field. That's right. We Both of us only recently discharged from the army. If you would care to see our papers right here in this knapsack... I... If you don't keep your hands up, I will let the dog go for your throat. I do not care to see your papers. I saw you parachute from an American plane. Uh-oh. Walk now to the barn. Rolf will see to it that you stay there. Won't you, Rolf? The German farmer left us in the barn and he didn't have to lock the door. That big black Doberman with the impatient fangs watched us as if he wanted us to make a move so we could jump. If we get out of this, my friend, I shall never again be a dog lover. Professor, don't move. Don't turn your head. Just listen to me. Yeah, I'm listening. There's some harness straps hanging on a hook right over my head. I noticed them when I came in. If I can pull them down fast enough, I'll throw them over the dog when he leaps, try to untangle him. Yeah, but... There's some horse blankets near you. When I pull down the straps, throw the blanket over him. It's got to be fast. Better work. I'm ready. On three, then. One. Nice, boy. Nice, nice, big, ugly mutt. Two. Three. The harness caught on the nails. I tried to pull it down. The dog leaped on my neck. And then the nail came off, too, and the straps fell across the dog's snout. The professor flung the blankets over the dog's head. I, I have him, Nicky, but I can't hold him. The shovel. Where's that shovel I saw? Hurry, hurry. I can't hold him. Now... I hit him again and again. And then suddenly the only sound in the barn was the dull thud of the shovel. The dog didn't move or make a sound. He never would again. We had better get out now. Yeah, let's go. The smell of a bakery is always good. Oh, how fortunate it is. I have only this morning made Pfefferkuchen, Josef. Just the way you always liked it. <laughs> how good to see you again, Anna. I told my friend Nicky that you would take us in, help us. Natürlich, Nicky. I will do anything I can. We, we may stay here then, huh, Anna? Oh. If all goes well, we will leave right after the raid tomorrow night. Yeah, 24 hours all we need. Of course, you may stay. I still live above the bakery. There is an extra room. My grandson, Emil, will not be home from the youth camp for a week. Youth camp? Uh, what could I do, Nicky? What could anyone do in these days in Berlin but ride with the wind? Until there is a chance to fight against it. Helping you and your mission will give me my chance. Little Emil. Eight years ago seemed like only yesterday. I used to sit with him on my lap here in this bakery and twirl my gold watch on the chain for him. Now, 
Remember, Anna, how he laughed? Yeah, I remember. He has forgotten you by now. And you would not know him. He's 13 years old. Oh, 13 years old. Already they have poisoned his mind. I cannot get to him. I do not dare. He's a little parrot speaking only what is taught him. Uh, Nicky, some more coffee? No, thank you, Frau Leitner. More pfefferkuchen or apfelstrudel. A specialty of my shop, apfelstrudel. No, thanks. Six years ago, at this very table, I had Emil on my lap when the Gestapo walked in and arrested me. Yeah. They did not like what I taught in their school. What's that? Someone's coming. I don't know who it can be. Customers never come by this late. Grandmother, surprise, I'm home. Emil! What is, man? Emil, your manners. These are friends just uh, passing through Berlin. They are j- just staying the night. This is Herr Neudeck and Herr Josef. Wiegeitz. Heil Hitler. Oh, yes, of course. Heil Hitler. I did not expect you until next week, Emil. How is it you are here so early? Well, I won a great honor, which I want to tell you about. You did not know I'd have to share to a stranger. Shame, Emil. These men are... Well... Soldiers of the fatherland. Yeah? Yes, Emil, we were both with the elite guard of one of Rommel's panzer divisions. Rommel? Yes, uh, that is before we received our medical discharges. Oh, Rommel. Sit down, my boy. I will bring you something to eat, yeah? Don't you want to hear about the honor I received? Look, grandmother, on my sleeve. A red swastika. Yeah, red for the youth movement. And a swastika because I learned my lessons faster than the others. The commander-in-chief of the whole youth movement awarded me my swastika, and he told me I could take my vacation a week early. Are you proud of me, grandmother? Yeah, my boy, yeah. Let me get you something to eat. Oh, no, 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 I'm too tired. Going up to bed. Grandmother said you were staying here. Will I see you in the morning, gentlemen? Well, I'm not sure. Oh, they will be here. Now that you are home, Emil, I will sleep on the couch and give them my room. No, no, please. Oh, it is all right. It is settled. Good. Perhaps then, Herr Josef, you'll hear me about Rommel. A great leader. Yes, yes, perhaps. Uh, we will see you in the morning, Emil. Why do you stare at me? Do I stare, boy? I thought so. Have I met you before, Herr Josef? No, I am sure not. Your face... Ever since I came in. Grandmother, have I met him here before? No, no, Emil. Herr Josef was here before you were born, even. You have never seen him. It has been years, fifteen maybe, before you were born. (laughs) I suppose so. Well... Good night. Professor... He wouldn't remember, would he? Oh, how could he, Nicky? He was a baby that last day Josef saw him, barely five years old. And the professor was 30 pounds heavier at least, and clean-shaven. Yeah, yeah, Anna is right, Nicky. Do not worry. He could not remember. Do not worry. But I couldn't help worrying. I lay awake half the night thinking about that kid in the room next door. The 13-year-old puppet with the new red swastika. 
It was just a feeling. I had a funny kind of feeling at the pit of my stomach that made me wish they'd kept him in that youth camp until after we were gone. That's some pretty dramatic music right there, Lisa. Well, it's a pretty dramatic show we've got going here. A lot of espionage action. It's Cloak and Dagger from 1950. We'll get back to it in just a few minutes. Back to WGN Radio Theater with Earl Amari and Lisa Wolf. We're going on a cruise, and we want our listeners to go with us. Who's going with you? Well, you are going. Oh, me. You and I'm your going. husband are going. Oh, we are and going. And Yanni and I are going. And uh, I might bring my kids. I don't know. But we have listeners that have been signing up yes, for it. Yes, we do. And it's going to be a lot of fun. And it's next August 1st. Not this August 1st, but next August 1st, 2020. Yeah. So about 13 months away. Exactly. So, folks, we're going to Bermuda. And it's going to be seven nights. And it takes out of New York. And we're going to St. George and St. Hamilton, right? Or just, is it both saints? Are they both saints? I don't know. What else? Uh, you didn't put it in Oceana. Here. It's an Oceana cruise, and the name of the boat is called Insignia, yeah. and it's brand new. Yeah. So they've taken a ship, and they've reimagined it and upgraded it and made it um, gorgeous and perfect with restaurants and a fitness center and a spa and, and a lounges and bars and, of course, the casino that oh, Carl's yeah. excited about. Um, and so we're going to go to some beaches and have some waters. And, you know, Bermuda has a fascinating history, but it's a really great combination of enjoying the history and the lands of Bermuda and at the same time having a luxury ship to enjoy. So it's really your choice whether you, you know, hang out and take a relaxing cruise and enjoy the ship activities, you know, or you can go out and do some shore excursions and, and be as active in the waters and water sports and in the history of the of the cities as you like. So yeah. it's a really good combination. Right, and it's a classic radio cruise because we're going to be doing all kinds of fun stuff with classic radio trivia contests and prizes, and we're going to have a radio reenactment that you can be in, and we're going to hang out together. We're going to eat together. It's going to be a blast. Come on, hang out with us. Go on a cruise with Lisa and I. I feel like if we're there, it's going to be fun. It's That's all be a lot I can of fun. say. It's going to be fun. So we're doing this through Keen Luxury Travel. It's K E E N E Luxury Travel. I can give you the phone number. It's 800-856-1155 or you can uh, go to our website wgnradiotheater.com and you'll find a banner for the trip and you click on it and give you all the information you need. Right. And it's starting at only like 11.99 per person 11. including Gratuity and Wi-Fi includes yep. Wi-Fi too. Yeah, uh, starting at eleven ninety nine. It's seven really nights. a deal. We we got a nice group deal yeah, for everybody. Did. So got a um, very low rate. It's going to be a low rate and a great trip and a lot of fun. So we hope that you'll uh, check it out and consider uh, traveling with us. Yeah, next year. go on the cruise with us. All right, let's get back now to Cloak and Dagger. When I got up, the sun had been up for hours, and so had the professor. I went downstairs to the bakery. There was the smell of fresh bread baking, and I knew Frau Leitner was in the kitchen. But the professor was sitting at the table, swinging his watch on the gold chain and talking well, to that uh, German quiz what kid. What have you learned, Emil? But why do you want to know? Oh, I'm just interested. I want to see how well you have earned that swastika. I stood at the bottom of the <laughs> stairs and listened. We have a leader who has revolutionized Germany. He is the greatest man who ever was or will be. When I joined the Führer's organization, the man in charge said... 
Join no other organization but this. Forward, forward, the banner leads us to eternity. Oh, well, you have learned your lesson well. Hmm? Yeah, Yosef. Are you sure I have never seen you before? Of course not, my boy. I seem to remember. Hey, Yosef. Ah, good morning, Herr Neudeck. Uh, since we're just passing through Berlin, don't you think we ought to see a few of the, the sights before we leave? Yeah, yeah, you're right. We will leave now. Uh, perhaps later, Emil, we will talk more. Raid was scheduled for that night, and the professor and I had a lot of work to do. We made arrangements to meet about 4.30 that afternoon at a tavern on Wilhelmstrasse. We went separate ways. I did a lot of walking, and I made a lot of notes in my head. The Klingenberg power plant was still functioning. The Ostkreutz junction of the city railroad had been repaired. There was an ammunition dump on the north side that our bombers couldn't see from the air. It's a nice day, a lot of Germans were walking the streets, and I made a lot of notes in my head. You wish to order now, mein Herr? Nine, nine, later. I am waiting for a friend. The professor was 15 minutes late, and I started getting nervous. Maybe somebody had recognized him. I sat there and sweated it out. Fifteen minutes, twenty minutes, half hour. And then he finally came. But he wasn't alone. Herr Neudeck, this is Hauptmann Müller. Uh, we, uh, we met only this afternoon and I uh, invited him to come and have dinner with us. <laughs> it was not quite that way, Herr Neudeck. It was I who insisted upon coming alone. I, uh, give uh, sit down. You were with one of Rommel's panzer divisions, I understand. Yes, we were only recently discharged from the army. Myself, I am just back. <laughs> you will have much to talk about. Where is that stupid waiter? They're never around when you need them. Uh, he will be here presently. Uh, presently is not soon enough. I will go to see him myself. I'll be right back. Where did you pick him up? He found me, my friend. There is a reservoir near the rail line. I was looking around. I, I think he was a little suspicious at first, but when I told him I was with Rommel, he became more friendly. Yeah. I am beginning to believe I was in Africa myself. Just the same, I wish you could have shaken him. What did you find out? It was a profitable afternoon. And you? A profitable afternoon. Good. He comes back. <laughs> ah, yes. At first, it seems strange to me that Herr Josef here should show so much interest in the reservoir. <laughs> well, I, I was merely taking a stroll, getting reacquainted with Berlin. <laughs> then I watched you. I saw you walk down towards the rail line. That was when I stopped you and began to talk. We are both glad you did, Herr Hauptmann. Give us this opportunity to get acquainted. Yeah, yeah. Hope we shall see more of you while we're in the capital. Uh, perhaps, Neudeck. Perhaps he shall see a great deal of me. I think I shall call the waiter and order some brandy. Oh, oh I see. You have not yet finished your meal, Neudeck. Still eating. It's very good. 
Her diet at the hospital was not so varied. No doubt, no doubt. Everything I ate stuck in my throat. I know what wouldn't go down. I knew that German officer was watching me as he talked. Watching me strangely, and I didn't know why. I knew that something was wrong, and I didn't know why. The professor felt it too. Her name is Gertrude, little Fräulein, I tell you about. And she has friends. Oh, some very pretty friends. Uh, you would like to meet them, perhaps? Yes, we would like to very much, Herr Hauptmann. How you would have enjoyed them. We might have had great fun together. All of us. Unfortunately, you may be otherwise engaged with the Gestapo. What? What? What did you say, Herr Hauptmann? I have been watching you all through dinner, Herr Neudeck. You are an American. Do not I... move, either of you. I have my hand on my gun. Well, surely you're, you're joking. No, European. It's the way you do. To change the fork from the left hand to the right after the knife is used. At first, it escaped me. I just knew something bothered me. Then I realized what it was. It there so it was. The little but thing that could put a rope around Only my neck. Americans hold the fork sideways in the right hand. In my nervousness, I'd forgotten I a little first, thing like that European yeah. manner of eating. The Gestapo will be very pleased. The sharp knife I'd been eating with was still in my hand. Almost as if it moved by itself, it disappeared under the table and halfway into the German office. Good work, Mickey. Good. I was stupid to get myself into that jam in the first place. We're not out of this yet. Waiter. Waiter, yeah, mein Herr. Check, please. A friend has had a little too much to drink. We will take him home. Yeah, yeah, right away. Between the two of us, we managed to get him out of there. His head was rocking back and forth like a drunk. The knife was still in him, so the blood didn't flow very much. He kept his cape around him. All right. There is no one around here, Nicky. We can dump him behind this shed. All right. We're beginning to leave a trail a mile long. So long, pal. It was nice meeting you. Come on, Professor. Let's go. Back to the bakery, there was more trouble waiting for us. Trouble 61 inches high, weighing about 110 pounds, wearing a new red swastika on his arm. Uh, they're in the kitchen. Something is wrong. I don't like the sound of that. Come on. No, no, no. Why are you so stubborn? This morning when we were that watch on the chain, I thought I remembered something. I just now how I came. Oh, you have never seen her use it before, Emil. I have. When I was very little, they get stopped. They arrested a man with a gold watch on a chain. I tell you, he is the same one. Emil, they do not even look alike. What about this? This broadcast radio I found hidden in your bedroom on a hat box. I, I... It's called a walkie-talkie, Emil. Give it back to me. Mickey! Joseph, come back. You see, you see, we've wasted time. I should have gone to the authorities right away. They have tricked you, grandmother. He knows, Anna. I am afraid to. I've been holding him here, hoping he would return. What did you say? You knew, grandmother, didn't you? They didn't trick you at all, traitor. 
You're that traitor too. Amy, get Amy, away from me. I hate you. Me. I hate you. Nicky, get, get him. Away. He's trying to run. Yeah, I've got him. Let me go. Let me go. Report to the Gestapo. They kill you. They have you shot. I'm not going to report anyone. What will I do with him? Uh, upstairs. He's bedroom. Oh, Lock him there until after you have gone. Right. Let go of me. Get your hands on me. I hate you. I hate you all. Let me go. will have to come with us when we leave here tonight, Anna. You cannot stay now. The professor is right, Frau Leitner. That kid upstairs will turn you over to the Nazis so fast you won't know what happened to you. My little Emil. Turn me in. Josef, would he? Yeah, I'm afraid he would, Anna. It is best that you come with us. We are going to try to get through the lines into France. Once there, there are underground workers who will help us. Yeah. Nikki. Is it all right if I bring this tray of food up to him? He has not eaten. He's still such a little boy. Yeah, sure, sure. You oh, take it up, but don't untie his hands, remember? Yes, I will remember. The raid ought to start soon. Let's go over this map, make sure we have everything right, huh? Yeah. Now, the rail line is here. Mm -hmm. Sector 2, grid B3. And if our bombers knock that out, Berlin's transportation is completely crippled. And here, on the map, power plant is in sector six, grid G5. Nicky, he's gone. What did you... What? Yeah, his hands. He got them loose. He lowered himself from the window with the bedsheet. What are we to do? He'll bring the Gestapo back with him. And we don't know how long he's been gone. Professor, the window, quick. Yeah. The, I, ah, the back door. There, there is a car coming. I there can is, see it. There is an alley and now we look, can... Now, look, look, no time. They'll have this place surrounded. How do you get to the roof? The roof, yeah, yeah. Up those stairs. We can go to, to the other rooftops and perhaps escape. There better be no perhaps about it. We went up to the attic stairs and onto the roof. We could see the Germans from there. Four of them in black shirts spilled out of an armored car. Two of them broke in through the front door. Two of them started around to the rear. And then we heard Amy. There they are up there. I know. Nikki, Nikki, she's dead. Well, it won't do her any good if we stay here. Come on, across the parapet. Harry. Oh, that's music for my ears. At least it'll keep them from getting more help right now. Stay where you are. Surrender now and it will go easier with you. Come and get us, pal. One of them did try to come and get us. And he got it first. Right between the eyes. He swayed for a few seconds back and forth, and then he fell off the roof onto the street. Ah, that's one of them, Nikki. There are only two left. Two? Well, what happened to the third? Nikki, was... behind you! Fourth Nazi had come up the other way, through somebody else's attic and onto the roof behind. Get your hands up! And now there are just two left, Professor. I... Hey, Professor, what is it? My... my leg. I can't move it. I can't go any further, Nikki. <laughs> What happened afterwards was a nightmare. It was if the earth cracked wide open. It was red hot and burning, and the noise of the planes and the agag and the German guns and the bombing made my my stomach turn. We crouched behind a parapet, and I held them off while the professor directed the bombers. Attention! Attention, bombers! The Klingenberg power plant is still functioning and supplies electric power to vital industries. Bomb sector 6, grid G5. 
The Ostkreuz junction of the city railroad has been repaired. Knock it out and all traffic in Berlin will be stopped. Sector 2, grid B3. Go now, Nikki. While there is a chance, I can hold them off long enough for you to get away. I can't leave you here. No, no, they won't take me. Don't worry. Now look, I'll carry you. We'll make it. Come on. Listen. Listen to me, Nikki. Go across the next two rooftops and then down through the skylight. There is a tailor shop. Yeah, but Professor... Go out the back door there. It leads to an alley. Once over the fence, under cover of the rage, you can make it. Now look, I won't go without you. All right. I will change your mind. Attention. Attention, bombers! Hey, what are you doing? Attention, bombers! Imperative! Wait two minutes and bomb crossroads at Sector 7, Grid D3. Hey, Professor, what are you doing? You're crazy! That's here, this sector! Go on, run! Run, Nikki! I'll cover you! I ran. I stumbled and fell and got up and ran again. When I got down in the alley through the tailor shop, I kept on running. And then the bomb fell and the concussion rocked the ground and I went flat on my face. When I looked back, I knew that our bombers had made another direct hit. Professor had not only held off the Germans while I got away, but kept them there until it was too late for any of them. A little German bakery that specialized in Apfelstreudel folded up as it had been made of matchsticks. Somewhere in the wreckage, the professor with his gold watch on the chain was buried under it. And overhead, the planes headed back. There was nothing left for me there. I headed back, too. Lieutenant Gus Holesnikus made his way to France and after months from there to England. But his direction of the bombing raid from the target itself kept some of Berlin's major industries crippled and its transportation system paralyzed. And once again, the report of an OSS agent closes with the words... Mission accomplished. Listen next week when we again present... Cloak and Dagger. In today's Cloak and Dagger adventure were Everett Sloan, Bill Zuckert, Lily Darvas, Barry Kroger, Michael Artist, Raymond Edward Johnson, Carl Weber, Jerry Jarrett, Bobby Weil, and Brad Barker. Script was written by Winifred Wolfe and Jack Gordon. Music was under the direction of John Gart. Today's true OSS adventure was based on the book Cloak and Dagger by Corey Ford and Alistair McBain. This has been a Lewis G. Cowan production in association with Alfred Hollander, and was under the direction and supervision of Sherman Marks. NBC offers three of radio's top mystery adventure shows, The Big Guy, Sam Spade, and The Saint. So if mysteries are your meat, listen in tonight. Next, hear High Adventure, then The Big Guy, on NBC. That's Cloak and Dagger from June 25th, 1950, direct line to Bombers. 
Hope you enjoy that. Let's take a quick break. Then it's more on the WGN Radio Theater. This 4th of July weekend, please arrive alive, never drink and drive. The Alliance Against Intoxicated Motorists Drunk Buster Program pays $100 to motorists who report an impaired driver that leads to a DUI arrest. This program is in effect year-round in DuPage, Lake, Kane, Grundy, McHenry, Will, and Boone counties, and statewide at all major holidays, including 4th of July weekend. Citizens are encouraged to report erratic driving to the police. This tip from AIM, the Alliance Against Intoxicated Motorists. For information, visit www.aaim.org. My microphone was not on. Oh, that was nice. (laughs) <laughs> you like that? Here, you know yeah. what? Here, go we'll ahead. We'll just turn you right off. There we go. That's much better. I, I can't hear you. Still can't hear you. Nope, can't hear you. Oh, okay, <laughs> oh darn. Well, yeah. <laughs> All right, in our next hour, it's the Milton Burl Show from 1947. After that, Orson Welles stars on Suspense going back to 1943. So... A lot more classic radio coming your way, so stick around. Back to WGN Radio Theater with Earl Amari and Lisa Wolf. Thanks, David. It is about six minutes after midnight here. Happy Sunday morning. And uh, this is hour two of the WGN Radio Theater. Milton Burl is coming your way from 1947. In hour three, it'll be Orson Welles starring in Suspense. But right now, it's time for our game, Cat's Pride. Is it real? Or is it ridiculous? Yeah. We are going to be talking about Julia Louis-Dreyfus. Okay. Okay. Yeah, Elaine from Elaine from Seinfeld. Seinfeld. Well, she's a lot more than that, yes. but that is uh, the definitely the claim to fame. That she'll best be remembered for, I think. I think so. And we are going to... Veep, Veep is another exactly. one, too, yeah. I, you know, I'm not a Veep for, person, nah. but um, Seinfeld is one of the best of the best. So we're going to be giving away a pair of tickets to Over the Tavern, which is playing at Theater at the Center in Munster, Indiana. Okay. Okay, so we'll call her. we're going to call in. I didn't say, but call right now. We're going to look for caller number 2312-981-7200. We'll be right back. Come on, baby. Let's get I said it right. I kind of stumbled over it, but... Just a little. Julia. Whatever. Oh, we've got Don on the phone. Hi, Don. Hello. How are you? I'm doing good, thank you. Good. Glad you got to. We're going to play a little uh, Julia Louis-Dreyfus, really ridiculous, and Carl's a good lifeline. Here he is. Okay, number one. She was the voice of Princess Ada in A Bug's Life. Real or ridiculous? Real. Wow, really? I I can't say. I'm going with Don. Good. That is real. You are absolutely right. See, nothing to it. Number two. She was a cast member on SNL, Saturday Night Live, from 1982 to 1985. Real or ridiculous? Ridiculous. Real. That is real. Really? Yes. You didn't know that? Okay. Well, I, I knew oh. she was on it, but yep. I didn't think it was that long. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was. Number three. Huh. In 1988, she was cast in the sitcom Dear John. Real or ridiculous? Mm-hmm. Help me out, Carl. 
<sighs> he does I'm going to say, I'm gonna say ridiculous. Everyone. I'm going to say ridiculous. I'll, I'll go with Carl. It is ridiculous. Yeah. Just made that one up. So you guys did pretty well. You got two out of three. All right. But you We're know what? Team, Don. <laughs> you are a good team. Don, you are the big winner. You have won a pair of tickets to Over the Tavern at Theater at the Center, which is in Munster, Indiana. It's playing July 11th through August 11th. It's set in 1959. Um, I don't know if you know about it. It's about a family. They're living in an apartment above the neighborhood bar. And they run uh, and face some struggles uh, as their sons question the rules of the Roman Catholic Church. I've actually never seen this show, which is unusual, but I look forward to seeing it. So um, you can check it out. Get more information at theateratthecenter.com. All right, Don. Way to go, buddy. Enjoy the show. Thank you so much for calling in. Thank you. Don's a big winner. All right. Are you ready for the Milton Berle show, Lisa? Yes, yes. Well, you know, Milton Berle, he was uh, Mr. Television. We all know that. But he also had a radio show because, you know, he started in vaudeville. He moved to radio and became known as Uncle Milty on television. He was born Milton Berlinger in New York City in 1908. He began his career impersonating Charlie Chaplin, which landed him in a number of silent films and on the vaudeville circuit. And his radio show began way back in 1934. And he was always on the radio, always had a radio show all the way up until television, till the late 1940s on radio. And his uh, television show, the Texaco Star Theater, debuted in 1948, made him a huge, huge comedy star. And then Buick became his sponsor in 1953 on television, and his show lasted till 1955. But, of course, he was a Las Vegas headliner until, I think, almost 2000. You know, So he, long, long career, hilarious uh, comedian. And we have a radio broadcast for you now from September 23rd, 1947. On this show, they salute the auto industry. Here's part one of the Milton Berle Show. The Milton Berle Show. On Radio City, New York, here is the Milton Berle Show. With Bert Pelton, Jack Albertson, Arnold Stang, Mary Ship, Jack Hartley, our singing star Dick Farney, the music of Ray Block and his orchestra, and yours truly, Frank Gallup. Ladies and gentlemen, tonight we salute the great automobile industry, proud makers of Buick, Plymouth, Studebaker. In keeping with the spirit, our star, Milton Berle, will now spend the next half hour making a gnash of himself. <laughs> and here he is, Milton Berle. Thank you. Oh, you're in fine diction tonight, Mr. Gallup. Thank you. Thank you, thank you. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Automobiles, Mr. Gallup. You remember when we used to sing, Come along with me, Lucille, in my merry Oldsmobile. Today they sing, Stay at home with me, dear Evie. I'm on the waiting list for a Chevy. <laughs> I, I, I could have said, I look sharp as any razor in my brand new Kaiser Fraser. <laughs> I could have said that, but I'm glad I didn't. <laughs> oh, come now, Burl. People are getting new cars. Yes, they are getting new. You're right, Mr. Gallup. My brother, Frank. You know Frank? Yes, indeed. Grand right. boy. <laughs> Three grand every week. Um, <laughs> My brother Frank, my, he just got a new car, a new 1947 reconvertible coupe. 
Reconvertible coupe? Uh, you mean uh, convertible? No, I mean, re- <laughs> I mean, I mean, revertible. This is going to louse up the joke now. What I just said. <laughs> no, I. <laughs> I mean revertible, because at the end of the month it reverts back to the finance company. <laughs> You get it, Mr. Gallagher? You see, you said revertible, and I said reconvertible, and it reverts back to the... Burl, Burl, if you ever again make me a party to a joke like that, I'll roll up this script and flog you with it. Mr. Gallagher! You'll give me another straight line like that, and I'll pull out your tongue and braid it around your nose. Well, Mr. Gallagher, you should know by now that in order for me to tell a joke, I, I, I need a stooge. A stooge? Yes. I, Frank Gallup, a stooge. Oh, now, now, wait a minute. I, who was the music commentator for the great Toscanini. Well, Mr. Gallup. I, who was once asked by Asha Heifetz to hold his rosin. <laughs> but please, Mr. Gallup. I, the wearer of the Andre Costellanitz belt for faithful service to music. But, Mr. Gallup. I, I a stooge for Milton Berle. Mr. Gallup, I... Quiet, peasant. <laughs> yes, Mr. Gallup, sir. Uh, mind you, Burl, right. I don't mind an occasional exchange of quips as I'm rather good at that sort of thing. I know you are, Mr. Gallup. However, in the future, when we engage in a bit of horse play, allow me to choose which part of the horse I'm going to play. <laughs> but, Mr. Gallup, you don't understand. I'm supposed to be the star. Allegedly, yes. <laughs> so let us settle it once and for all. Henceforth, all serious matters will be handled by me. All right. And let's leave the comedy to Bob Hope. Mr. Gallup! Mr. Gallup, you've, you've hurt me. Hurt me. Deeply. Painfully and mortally. Humber, let's not slobber. Oh, sure, that's the popular sport now to make insulting jokes about Milton Berle. Go ahead. But let me tell you one thing. I remember every one of those insulting jokes. I use them all later. Burl, if you've quite finished with this revolting display of self-pity, let us get on with our subject, the automobile industry. But, Mr. Gallup, why, why such a depressing subject? Customers fighting with auto dealers, long waiting lists, high prices. True, Burl. That's why tonight we're taking our listeners back to happier days. Oh, yes, it was just a few years ago when all you had to do was walk into any automobile dealer showroom, and this is what would happen. <laughs> Well, well, well. <laughs> Mr. Burl, so you've come in to buy one of our new cars. Uh, maybe. <laughs> oh, Mr. Burl, just look at this model. 16 cylinders, mother of pearl spark plugs. Seat covers by Hattie Carnegie. 14-carat piston rings. Chippendale rearview mirror and a tail from an unborn mink for the radiator cap. <laughs> oh, Mr. Burl, this car is just for you. Take it, please. Uh... Maybe. Oh, but Mr. Burl, look at that car. Get behind the wheel. Drive it around for a couple of years. If you like it, if you like it, send us a little something each month. If you don't like it, just dump it somewhere on the street. We'll pick it up later. Oh, please, Mr. Burl, say yes. Well, I don't know about that radiator cap, that bronze bust of the president of General Motors signing with the United Auto Workers. You don't like it? No, I don't. There. We'll replace it with the head of one of our vice presidents. In gold? No, the real head. <laughs> oh, Mr. Burl, have a heart. Buy it. Well, uh, when can I have delivery? In 15 minutes. 15 minutes? Yes. What's the matter, another strike? 
Uh, tell me, uh, what's the price? Well, well, the, the list price is $500. The list price? Yes. <laughs> Let me get out of this clip joint. Oh. Well, wait, Mr. Bell, wait. Naturally, we'll give you a liberal allowance on your old car. Oh, you will, huh? Yes. Let me see. That's my car in the front, that 1922 Essex. <laughs> well, I'll give you $300 of it. $300? Yes. That's the big Grover Cleveland model. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't see. It is in good condition. It has a tire. <laughs> I'll give you 600 Okay. Oh, Mr. Burl, you'll never regret it. Now, let's see. 500 for the new car, 600 allowance for your old car. Here you are. A check for $100, and here are the keys to your new car. Oh, thank you, Mr. Burl. Come in again, please. There I go again. No sales resistance. <laughs> Yes, those were wonderful days. Well, now let us observe Milton Burl going in to see the same dealer about a new car today. Uh, excuse me, my name is Burl. Remember? Shut up! Yeah. <laughs> you see that table there, don't you? I want to see $300 under it before I even look at you. Yes, sir. There it is. Now, I've been on the list since... Shut up! Yeah. The price is ten thousand dollars. Ten thousand. Shut up! Yeah. That's the list price. There's got to be a little extra in it for me. Wait a minute. I gave you three hundred under the table. That was for the table. It's yours. Take it home. <laughs> but I shut up. When can I have delivery? How old are you? Thirty-five. You'll never make it. <laughs> but I, I look. Forget about it. I got a beautiful used car for you. Just a thousand dollars, and it's yours. Well, it's a deal. Here's the money. Where's the car? There it is. A 1922 Essex. <laughs> Gee, my old big Grover Cleveland model. It's just what I've wanted. Thank you. Thank you. Shut up! <laughs> ah, yes. Yes, Mr. Gallup. Those were the wonderful days when you took new cars for granted. When in your shiny new car with that one and only girl, you snuggle up to her and you sang, Give me the road, the white winding highway. Just let me see the unbeaten highway, and I'll travel along, singing a vagabond song. Ah, uh, Cynthia. <laughs> Cynthia. Golden memories. Golden memories of Cynthia. I'll tell you when to laugh, lady. Please. In my heart, there is always still that picture of you, Cynthia, speeding down the highway. The top of the car would be down. The throttle of the car would be open. And the owner of the car would be chasing you. <laughs> On the open road, hitchhiking with Cynthia. Remember that day, Cynthia, when no one would stop for us? You lifted your skirt and you held your leg out on the highway. That stopped the cars for miles. They thought it was a fallen tree. <laughs> poor, poor nearsighted Cynthia. Remember how you'd stick your head out of the car window to read the Burma shave signs? Then one day you stuck your head out too far. Boing, boing, boing. <laughs> getting smacked, getting smacked by those signs gave you a smart, stylish look. A sort of off-the-face face. <laughs> but it was Cynthia's driving that made me love her. What a road hog you are, Cynthia. Used to keep an apple in your mouth. Used to keep an apple in your mouth. 
throw that gag in the writer's mouth, but it was the little things. I don't think it'll fit. They got too many old ones in there now. But... Ah, but it was the little things I remember about you, Cynthia. Your tinkling little laugh whenever they catch you filing the engine numbers off of hot cars. Those tired little lines that would appear around your mouth after a hard night of siphoning gas out of parked cars. Yes, Cynthia, all of your life you were crazy about cars. I guess that's why you turned out to be such an old crank. But as for me... All right, that's the first portion of the Milton Berle Show. Going back to September 23rd, 1947, a salute to the auto industry with Milton Berle. You know who was the announcer on that, Lisa? Who, Carl? Frank Gallup. And you know what? He used to gallop off into the sunset. I have no I, I, response I, 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 yeah, to that. Yeah. Mm, mm-hmm. It's a very Carl joke. How's that? <laughs> it's very Carl-esque, right? It is it's, Carl-esque. Yeah. 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 He took a Gallup poll while he was galloping. He did take a Gallup yeah, poll, yeah. 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 I don't think there were any Gallup polls back then. Well, when you're galloping, you have to take a poll oh, as you, you go past them. Well, I think of it's other things that you might poll. want to do when you're taking hey, a Roger. Gallop. <laughs> yeah. Did Roger's you, not here, but go ahead. Roger, did you get your uh, classic radio yes, digital download? Thank you, thank you. Lisa yes, got I hers, did. too. I See, sure did. Right into my email. Mm, I yeah. love the digital uh, delivery system. That I do you put too, together Roger. Because I can just listen to it wherever and whenever. Yep. And uh, do you read the liner notes? I hope because I it takes me liner hours and hours and hours. I hope you read the liner notes I will because be. you know you'll get a you'll enjoy the liner notes because Roger knows these classic radio shows. He really mm-hmm. does. And uh, you're going to get a kick out of the liner notes because not only do we talk about each and every show, but we talk about the series mm-hmm. along with the show. Folks, uh, if you have not joined the Classic Radio Club as yet, um, many hundreds of your fellow listeners are members, and it's really inexpensive to get 10 Classic Radio shows sent to you each and every month. Now, if you don't want them digitally sent to you, you can choose the CD option, and we will send you a collector case with five CDs with 10 classic radio shows along with the liner notes. So either way, you'll get 10 of the greatest classic radio shows of all time. Each month, it's 10 new shows, and you will never get a duplicate show. They're all digitally remastered. They sound amazing. And it's all there at our website, ClassicRadioClub.com. And we have a special going on that if you join the first month, it is one buckaroo, just $1 to join. So check it all out, right, Lisa? Yep. And uh, I know you just got your digital downloads. I sure did. I, I was actually listening. I, I send the digital downloads to myself, too. And I was driving. I hope you pay for them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> driving to pick you up. You know, because we carpool. I was listening to um, the uh, Boston Blackie episode. It was really good. Yeah, very cool. You got some of my favorites on this. I know. So, folks, uh, when you join the first month, you get Abbott and Costello with the Who's On First. You get Suspense, Sorry, Wrong Number with Agnes Moorhead. These are all digitally remastered. Escape. 
You get Our Miss Brooks, uh, Sam Spade, Have Gun Will Travel, Gunsmoke, Jack Benny. So you get 10 of the greatest shows, and then every month, 10 more shows. Just go to Classic Radio Club. Dot com. That's Classic Radio Club. Dot. All right, after WGN News at 12.30, we will be tuning in to the conclusion to the Milton Burl Show. Then it's Suspense, starring Orson Welles, going back to 1943. You won't want to miss that. Back to WGN Radio Theater with Earl Amari and Lisa Wolf. This is the time that I always uh, ask you, are you Lisa Wolf or am I Lisa Wolf? Oh, I thought you were going to say this is the time that you always, like, doze off. No. (laughs) Although I did not have really a nap today at all. I know, I can tell. Did you have a nap today? I didn't, no. Oof. Ooh, it's a bad combo, I had the naps for you. You did it. Thank you, Roger. You're very welcome. In about another 30 minutes or so, we're going to be flurring our worth. (laughs) You speak for yourself. Yeah, right. (laughs) <laughs> Flurring our words. That's easy for you to say. I'll be saying Shawberg. Yeah, well, you do that anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Shawberg. Mr. Shawberg himself. I'm the mayor. All right. <laughs> well, it is time for the conclusion to the Milton Burl Show. Thank you. No, no, please. No, I have none of that. No applause, please. No applause. <laughs> You see what'll happen? You, you'll call NBC's attention to the fact that I'm on their network, you see? And it makes them see red. Network. I made it up. Joke. Oh, I'm cooked. If they ever find out, I'm cooked. Burl. You know, I'm cooked if... Oh, that's your line. I'm sorry. Yeah. That's Burl, the one you I have. say, uh, tonight, let us take our listeners behind the scenes of the great automobile industry. No. <laughs> well, uh, maybe I'll think about it, yes. Well... What have you got to say next? If we do... Yes? If well, we do... Suppose I say we don't want to. <laughs> and what have you got to read next? Uh, <laughs> you know, I'm in that mood Big tonight, Barney. Mr. Gallagher. No. <laughs> there will be no fun in the studio. Let's... This is between your knees. You. Did you hear that applause just then? <laughs> That was Ray Block trying to keep himself awake, I think. <laughs> you say that you want to take the listeners behind the scenes of the great automobile industry? No. <laughs> well, I've got an idea, Mr. Gallup. I've got an idea. You know who... You know, being that we, our whole subject, uh, our automobiles... You know who I'm going to be tonight? Who? Walter P. Burrow. (laughs) Yes, yes. He's the automotive industry man, the head of that great auto corporation. And what are you doing? I'm addressing my board of governors. Gentlemen, I am proud to announce that the new 1947 Burl 8 is on the market. Hurrah, hurrah. That's the spirit. <laughs> Gentlemen, we have to do something about our salesmanship now. Every one of us has got to get out there and push the new Burl 8. That's the only way it'll go. <laughs> that was my heart as a hobo. <laughs> Arrangements by Flash Gordon. That was Ray Block, the Philomars Orchestra. And Ray, your music uh, and your orchestra as well. Your playing can be summed up in two words. 
More rehearsals. And now, <laughs> as we continue our salute to the great automotive industry, we now present... Automobile Forum tonight. Automobile Forum tonight. The question. Do you close the new Studebaker with a door or a cork? <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> Thank you, Mr. Gallup. And now, you're back on Prudential. And now, let us... Let us proceed with the questions about automobiles. Let's start with this gentleman opening the bottle of beer with his teeth. Uh, yes, sir? Mr. Burl, I'm tired of the same old wreck, year in and year out. The same old wreck? On the street, people always point and say, look at that old heap. Then why don't you get rid of the old heap? I'd like to, but she won't give me a divorce. <laughs> Thank you, thank you. Let's move on. All right, this young man wearing the chintz knickers. Uh, young man, uh, what, is, uh, what is your name? My name is Lady Esther. <laughs> Lady Esther? Yeah, but I'm not the real Lady Esther. <laughs> oh, you're not? No, the real one got a deeper voice. Oh, that's true. That's true. That's true. My father gave me the name Lady Esther because he said I belong in a jar. <laughs> I see. Before I changed my name to Lady Esther, I had a boy's name. A boy's name? What was it? Lady Mendel. <laughs> All right, Lady Esther, you have something to say about the new automobiles? Yeah, but I don't feel like talking right now. Well, if you talk... I'm a funny guy. If I don't feel like talking, I don't talk. Yeah, but when... Nobody can make me talk either. Did you hear about it? I know that, Stop but... nagging me. I'm telling you, my lips are sealed. All right, I'm a citizen. You can't make me talk if you burn my feet with candles. Look, we're trying... I'm a citizen. You can't make me talk even if you miss the district that died. Yeah, but we're trying... I'm a citizen. You can't make me talk if you beat me, torture me, throw me in solitary. Please, you... Go on, hit me. You're screaming for my blood, but I ain't talking. <laughs> Let us not create a disturbance. Young man, if you have a question, let's hear it. Okay. Would you like to tweeze my eyebrows? <laughs> oh, please. Let's get on to the ladies. All right, this lady in the aisle shaking paprika on the frog's legs. Um, young lady, what is your name, please? Tallulah Feeney. I'm a homemaker. I see. And you have a question? Yeah, how can I stop my husband from tinkering with cars? Your husband likes to tinker? He's the biggest tinker in the neighborhood. <laughs> Really? He likes to take cars apart. Once he took a car apart in 30 seconds. 30 seconds? He must have had help. Yeah, from a telephone pole. <laughs> I see what you mean. What a picture he makes every Saturday, rolling down the highway. <laughs> What's wrong with that? I got to sober him up and help him back in the car. <laughs> I understand. Him and his fancy driving. You should see how he can stop on a dime. For doing that, they threw him in jail. They threw him in jail for stopping on a dime? Yeah, the dime was in a pedestrian's pocket. <laughs> Oh, gee, that's terrible. You should see them gadgets for the car. He even got a raccoon tail. It's amazing. <laughs> What's amazing about having a raccoon tail? Growing out of them. Oh. Oh, that's different. Whenever I'm with him, he drives with one hand. It's insulting. That's romantic. What's insulting about your husband driving with one hand? What's insulting? The other hand he keeps on his wallet. That did it. Thank you very much. As the most appropriate closing to our automobile forum, let us all join together and sing. There are cars that look so snappy. There are cars that never go. There's a car to suit the speedy driver. There's one for the Sunday driving schmoe. There are cars of every make and color. Jalopies and reconverted cans. 
pies that fill our hands with money are the ones we sell to the smiling Irish men. Schmans, schman, schman, schman. I love those automobile songs. Don't you like those yes. automobile songs? Mr. Gallup, I yes. know everything about automobiles. I really do. Well, I'm sure that you've uh, had some experience that you'd like to tell us about. Yes, I would love to tell you about. Mr. Gallup, one summer I decided to take the family on a motoring trip up to Canada. So the night before, we were all packing, and I'll never forget. Darling, will you hurry up and finish packing? We've got to get to bed early. We're getting up at six. Relax, Milton. Yeah, take it easy, Pop. You'll last longer. Oh, darling, this is awful. I, I was through papping, packing two hours ago. I'm packing. A toothbrush and a racing form. Quiet. It's just a camping trip up north. Yeah, but a racing form. What are you going to bet on, moose? Quiet. <laughs> Junior, we're going up to the Canadian woods. Wait a minute. What's the idea of packing your new sailor suit? Well, I might run into one of the own sisters. They're just my age, you know. <laughs> Did you hear, Junior, darling? He has romance at his age. He got that from me. I wish he'd give it back to you. You could use it. <laughs> it's very funny. Come on, darling. Let's go to bed. I'll turn out the lights, dear. All right, Milton. Good night, Junior. Oh, no. That knock. That must be Sam Harrison and his wife, Martha. If that corny windbag gets his foot in the door... Now, Milton, their neighbors be nice. I'll brush them off. Come in. Well, howdy doody do dob do. <laughs> hello, Sam. Uh, hello, Martha. Well, saw your jalopy outside, all packed for a trip. So I said, there goes the burrows off on a nice long trip, and we haven't even said goodbye. Let's drop over. Isn't that what I said, Martha? Yes. <laughs> Awfully nice of you, Sam. Yep. Uh, we're leaving for Canada in the morning. Canada? Yeah. Well, the minute I saw those sleeping bags on the front bumper, I said, they're going to Canada. Didn't I, Martha? Yes. <laughs> Look, uh, folks, we're, we're getting up at six in the morning, Sam, so we're all about to get ready. Ah, ah, there's nothing like an early start. <laughs> Reminds me of the time Martha and I drove up to Albany for his sister's wedding Sam, it's late, please Ah, oh, it's a very swell story, Milt A little long, perhaps Yes <laughs> Some other time, Sam Thanks very much for dropping in Tell us, Sam, what happened on your trip to Albany? <laughs> Junior, how many times have I told you to keep quiet when adults are talking? Well, Milt, we all went to bed early <laughs> And you know, we were in the sack ten minutes when the telephone rings it was the gas company. Uh, no, wait. Say, Martha. Yes? <laughs> was it the gas company? Yes. <laughs> All right. It was the gas company. Now look, Sam. Well, sir, ten minutes later... <laughs> another phone call. Yes, Sam. station waiting for Martha to come out. <laughs> Milton, you're not listening. Uh, Milton, wake up. I, what, who deals? Who deals? Milton. Sam, look at the clock. 
It's two in the morning. Well, so long, Milt. Nice seeing you. Wasn't it, Martha? Yes. <laughs> Goodbye, Sam. Goodbye, Martha. Oh, brother. Quick, darling. Let's get to bed. No, no, please. Sam! Canada, Canada! You know what just dawned on me? You're going to Canada! Martha and I took a trip to Canada ten years ago. Didn't we, Martha? Yes. <laughs> Please, it's just a camping trip. A camping trip, did yes, you say? Yes, Well, look what happened to us. Martha was almost attacked by a bear. Uh, weren't you, dear? Yes. <laughs> what did she do? Talk away out of it? <laughs> Sam, Sam, please. And that's not all. Oh, no. Martha accidentally put some poison ivy in a mixed green salad. Why, you should have seen my mouth. For three whole days, I couldn't talk. Isn't that right, Martha? Yeah. <laughs> Sam, please. Milk, look. Why don't you go to Atlantic City? Sam. Oh, Atlantic City. That's where little Martha and I spent our honeymoon. Isn't it, dear? Yeah. <laughs> Sam, please. <laughs> oh, that Atlantic City. That saltwater tabby for breakfast. Sam. Uh, look, look, we'd better run along. Sam. Are you ready to go, Martha? Yes. Sam. Well, see you in Atlantic City. Uh, Atlantic City? At this time of the year? Go home. Why, the place for you is Hot Springs, Arkansas. Go home. Oh, every day swimming in that sulfur. Go home. Makes you a new man. Go to Canada. Lazy afternoons in the steam room. Go to Hot Springs. Of course, if you don't like southern cooking, there's always Niagara Falls. Go to... Hey, Pop, watch that driving. Wake up! All right, go ahead. That morning air. Are you sure this is the way to Niagara Falls, Sam? Well, this is the way we always go, hey, Martha? Yes. <laughs> Lord, it's nice now, too. Sam. That rolling surf. Go home. Daylight saving time ends in certain areas on September 28th. This may change the time at which the Milton Berle Show is heard in your community. Please check your local newspaper for the time at which this program will be heard next Tuesday and each Tuesday thereafter. Thank you very much, Mr. Gallup. And while you're mentioning things, would you mention that starting tomorrow, Wednesday, I'm appearing in person at the Roxy Theater here in New York? No. <laughs> but you won't even mention that I'm funnier than ever and that I have some new jokes? No. <laughs> Fine cooperation. As far as you're concerned, I could drop dead. Yes. <laughs> oh, good night, ladies and gentlemen. Good night. The Milton Berle Show was written by Nat Hyken and Alan Rubin. This is Frank Gallup saying good night. This is NBC, the national broadcasting company. This is WGN, the world's greatest newspaper. 
Sure is. Did you know that? Yes, I sure did, Carl. <laughs> uh, that's the Milton Burl Show from September 23rd, 1947. A salute to the auto industry. Milton Burl, all his gangs heard on NBC. That was originally sponsored by Philip Morris Cigarettes, but we have to delete any cigarette commercials now when we broadcast them. But we don't delete them if you're part of the Classic Radio Club. The shows that we send out through the Classic Radio Club, like Jack Benny with all the Lucky Strike commercials, Dragnet with the Fatima commercials, these shows, Milton Berle and things. We don't ever edit any of the commercials out. We don't edit any of the content out of the uh, Classic Radio uh, Club CDs and digital downloads. Just wanted to make sure our listeners knew that. Um, We do have to edit for broadcast sometimes here, but not... If you're getting them through the Classic Radio Club at ClassicRadioClub.com. Let's take a quick break. Then it's more on the WGN Radio Theater. This 4th of July weekend, please arrive alive. Never drink and drive. The Alliance Against Intoxicated Motorists Drunk Buster Program pays $100 to motorists who report an impaired driver that leads to a DUI arrest. This program is in effect year-round in DuPage, Lake, Kane, Grundy, McHenry, Will, and Boone counties and state statewide on all major holidays, including 4th of July weekend. Citizens are encouraged to report erratic driving to the police. This tip by AAIM, the Alliance Against Intoxicated Motorists. For information, visit www.aaim1.org. Hey, you know, just a few minutes ago, there was a Porsche exchange commercial, Highland Park Porsche exchange. Yes. I drive past that a lot because I'm out in that area. Yep. Quite a bit. Um, you know, we could be great spokespeople Couldn't for we? Porsche Exchange. I mean, it would only cost them like a Porsche each. I know, but that you would know not what? be that bad, right? Um, I think the exposure that we would give to them if we were driving them all around town would be vast. I think I, I think we are perfectly suited for that. Could you handle a Porsche? Could I'm pretty you, sure that I could. Would you be able to handle like a really fast car, Lisa? Well, maybe that's not the one I would get. Maybe what I would, would have get, like, like the kind? SUV kind oh, of yeah, thing. Oh yeah, they have a nice SUV. Oh, I'm aware. <laughs> I'd want the fastest 911. Carrera. All right, well that's that perfect have, because are, those are two you know, completely different like cars. The fastest and we baddest, can support both of them because you're a bad, bad, like fast Leroy car, Brown. Lisa. That's a, that was one of my favorite songs of all bad, time. Bad, bad, bad Leroy Brown. Leroy, Leroy Brown, Brown, baddest man in the whole damn town. Da- I said darn. Oh, sorry. See, see, Lisa's going to get in trouble. I said darn. That, she not, said that won't get me in trouble. No. right? it's a mild expletive. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry. I hope I don't get fired. She's just, she's, you know. <laughs> Um, better than old no, King, King Kong. Kong. No, old better than old King Kong. Meaner than a junkyard, than a junkyard dog. Junkyard dog. Yeah. Got it. All right, right. But That's uh, a good getting one. back to the Porsche Exchange. Yeah. If you're listening, have you I ever think seen we... how big that place is? The Porsche Exchange is yes. huge. They have every kind of Porsche, and every kind of color. Well, everything they you can could imagine. choose what they think would be best suited. I for would us. want. I'm trying to think. <sighs> well, you probably keep want a black. Porsche. I'd like the, like the same exact Porsche yep. that uh, Ellen DeGeneres drives. When oh, I was at that. Warner Brothers, this is true, and I was at Warner Brothers, I think I took a picture and I sent it to you, remember? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Do you remember I took a picture of Ellen's car? You did, but I, I was walking was around car. the lot. No, it was her lot because it said Ellen. She was probably, it was behind Ellen's studio. I'm pretty sure it was Ellen's Porsche. 
Okay. Okay. So she's married to a woman named Porsche, and she drives a Porsche. Porsche. But well, whatever. It's so Porsche. Close. You say Porsche is what it's called. True. So she had a really cool one. It was black convertible, 911. She can have whatever she wants. Well, if I'm a spokesperson for the Porsche exchange. And here's what I would say. I should probably learn how to say the word first, though, Porsche. Yeah. And you know what? I would say whatever car you choose for me, I would be fine with that. Really? Yeah. What if it was a used... A used Porsche is Volkswagen. fine. Volkswagen. No, Porsche. We're talking about within the Porsche Beetle family. Beetle from 1959. Within the Porsche like family. Like the one I had when I delivered pizzas and it started on fire as I was driving it. <laughs> this is a true story. I was delivering pizzas in a Volkswagen Bug. I was 17 or 18. And uh, the whole thing just started on fire. The whole well, car you obviously got melted out of it. Okay, the, all that was left was the frame of the car. I got out of it and I delivered the pizza. Was that your and first they car? Gave me, no, oh. they gave me a really good tip. They, were, they called the fire department also. Right, and I got out of it okay, but the good. car we just me- just. It was in flames. Well, you look fine. Yeah. <laughs> I, I made it through that. You did well. Anyways, yeah, a Porsche for either or both of us or each of us would be would be appreciated. Yeah, I'd want the fastest black convertible Porsche 911. I'll take anyone with any color. So and I'm not I'll, that I'm not I'll that do you proud Porsche exchange of Highland Park. Well, you're high maintenance. I'm easy. Just yeah. uh, whichever one you want to get rid but of, truly, I'm good. And this is, this is not a paid endorsement here. Truly, they have an amazing facility over I there. I know they Park. do. If you're interested in a Porsche, that's my, where you want to go. My dad bought a Porsche there not too long ago. That, see? He did. See that? Yep, see, we're supporters. Well, your dad's super cool, man. Yeah, he is. He is really cool. He is super cool. Did the adoption papers come in yet? You'll have to check with him. I'm out of this one. Really? I don't want to be your sister, to be honest with you. <laughs> <laughs> it's bad enough being my co-host. That's what I'm thinking. Yeah. That might be just a bit too much. <laughs> just crossing the line right there. That's true. In the next hour, we're going to tune into a really... A terrific tale well calculated to keep you in suspense. In suspenders. Suspense. From 1943, the most dangerous game with Orson Welles. And you know who else is in this? Roger, do you know who else is in this episode of Suspense? I have no idea, though. I know the story, and I love this one. Well, yeah, it's a great story. I mean, um, I think it was... God, was it? Uh, I'm trying to think who did the original story. I think it was Richard Connell. But um, you know, it was in this radio broadcast. It's probably one of his first acting gigs. Hmm. Keenan Wynn. Keenan really? Wynn, not Edwin. Right. Keenan Wynn. And of course, his dad, Edwin, had, mm-hmm. you know, the Texaco Fire Chief. <laughs> right. He right. had his own radio show. But his son was starting to get into the uh, acting arena, and he is the co-star of this episode of Suspense from 1943 with Orson Welles. That's so, great. It's going to be very cool. Yeah. It's coming your way. Back to WGN Radio Theater with Earl Amari and Lisa Wolf. All right, hour three. Thanks for staying up late with us, and thanks, Roger, for the news. It is 106 in the morning. And in this hour, it is Suspense, starring Orson Welles from 1943 in The Most Dangerous Game. Co, uh, the co-star on that is Keenan Wynn. And that is coming up in just a few minutes. But right now, it's time to play our game, Casperite. Is it real or is it ridiculous? Yes, the celebrity is one of your favorites, Carl. Ooh. Jennifer Aniston. Oh, yeah. I know. You like I, her. Yeah, she's, uh, she's, what, she's Carl? a very cute girl. <laughs> she's on Friends. Well, and, she was when it was on. Well, I watch it still on <laughs> reruns, so she's on Friends. <laughs> she is. Yeah. 
She is, and we're going to be giving away a pair of lawn tickets to Ravinia on July 21st to see Ghostbusters, which is celebrating its 35th anniversary with the score played live by the Chicago Symphony Orchestra. You know, I I, uh, I watched the new Ghostbusters yes. movie. Yep. Wow, that was not very good. Well, you know, how can you compare to the original? I mean, and I can't believe it was 35 years ago. Yeah, I, I, I was really, I watched it because I, you know, curious just to see. Right. And uh, Kristen Wiig, I really like her a lot, yeah. you know, and she's great in everything. And she was pretty good in it, but the movie itself. Yeah. Like the all-female oof. version we're talking yeah, it about, just right? Wasn't, it just wasn't very yeah. good. But Ghostbusters is a classic. It sure And is. that'll be fun to hear the score. By an original, uh, you know, by by a orchestra, it live is. orchestra. And you know what? Ravinia is just plain fun, oh, yeah. and it's great to sit under the stars and enjoy some All music. Right. What, uh, what, uh, We're going to go with caller number six. You can call in right now at 312-981-7200. Call now, and we will be right back. Come on, baby. Let's get ridiculous. And we have Connie on the phone. Hi, Connie. How are you? I'm great. How are you? I'm doing good. Good. Love you guys. Hi, uh, Connie. Thank you. Glad you <laughs> made it through, you. and uh, we'll see what you know about Jennifer Aniston. All right. Here we go. <laughs> okay. Okay. Number one, she founded the production company Brownstone Productions Why? in 2000. Did she lose it? She founded it. <laughs> oh, gosh. In two, oh, okay, I'll start Connie over. Connie loves my Again, corny another Carl esque joke. She, La Carney, loves my <laughs> corny joke. All right, well. Yes, I do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Connie. <laughs> he needed somebody to say that. All right, we'll start over. She <laughs> okay. founded the production company Brownstone Productions in 2008. Real or ridiculous? Hmm. It's kind of not sure. So, I'm going to say real. I agree, real. I disagree. It is oh, ridiculous. Man. The name of her production company is Echo Films. Ah, she's right. a sneaky. Okay. She's so sneaky. Yeah, I'm just, just the, I'm the worst. Very sneaky. <laughs> Number two, she appeared in Fer- she appeared in Ferris Bueller. I agree with you for once. You are the worst. I'm, I'm the worst. A television adaptation of Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Huh. What do you think? Mm. <sighs> I think ridiculous. Ridiculous. It's real. What? You guys. <laughs> I don't know what We're to tell you. We're over two. We're over All two. All right. Guys. Here's your chance. You ready? Yeah. Okay. okay. In Friends, the producer originally wanted her to audition for the role of Phoebe Buffay. Real or ridiculous? Okay. Huh? I'm, I'm thinking yes. I'm thinking real. What do you think, Connie? All right, I'm going to agree with Carl. Real. Real. I'm so sorry. (laughs) 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 She what? What they did want her. We should have flipped the coin. (laughs) We would have been better, Connie. They did want her to audition for the role of Monica, but not Phoebe. So sorry. But you know what, Connie? I'll tell you. You know what happens if you get zero out of three correct on this game? 
What happens? You get you win. win. You win, Connie. <laughs> you, you win. That's right. And oh you win God. big because you win a oh. pair of lawn tickets to Ravinia, and that is big. It's on July 21st. You're going to see Ghostbusters celebrating its 35th anniversary with the score performed live by the Chicago Symphony Orchestra. And you can join our very own Dean Richards, who will lead a pre-concert discussion. That is a fantastic prize. I hope that you enjoy um, some time at Ravinia Under the Stars. So... Um, um, I can't think of anything better than Ravinia and the Ghostbusters and Dean Richards and the Chicago <laughs> Symphony Orchestra. It's the best. You know what, Connie? I founded R- Ravinia. You founded <laughs> founded Ravinia. <laughs> yes, you did. Oh, I don't want to thank you, even for not an- for me not getting the answers. But thank you very much. You have fun. Did you have fun playing the game, Connie? Always have fun playing the game. Thank you so much. Thanks, son. Take care. All righty. Connie's a big winner. She's going to Ravinia. She's going to be under the stars listening to some great music. Yeah, Ravinia's the best. Okay. You ready for suspense, Lisa? Yes, that is the best, too. Well, yeah, suspense, really, we play a lot of suspense here because it is, in my opinion, and most other... Uh, people that um, love classic radio, they consider it one of the best, if not the best, mystery series of the golden age of radio. It was originally conceived as a potential radio vehicle for Alfred Hitchcock to direct. In fact, Alfred Hitchcock was on the audition broadcast. You know, when they recorded it and sent it out to sponsors, he was the director of it. It's sort of like Lux Radio Theater, how Cecil B. DeMille was the, you know, host mm-hmm. and director. Well, Alfred Hitchcock was going to be the host and director of Suspense. And then, so he recorded an audition album. It, it did sell pretty quickly. It sold a few months later, but... He was not available, so he was not on the show ever again. He was only on the audition show. I know that sentiment of not being available. Yeah, not available. (laughs) That's Lisa's famous line. I'm sorry. Not available. I'm just not available. Yep. Aired from 1942 until 1962. Long time on the radio. It was billed as radio's outstanding theater of thrills, very suspenseful uh, series with the biggest names in Hollywood. That was what's so cool about it, because not only did it have great writing and uh, great uh, supporting cast and directors, some of the best directors, but it always had incredible talent, incredible Hollywood stars. On this particular episode, we have Orson Welles and Keenan Wynn. Let's go back to September 23rd, 1943, for the most dangerous game. Here's part one of Suspense. Suspense. This is the man in black, here again to introduce Columbia's program, Suspense. From Hollywood, we bring you a star, Mr. Orson Welles, who this evening begins a four-week engagement as guest of these proceedings. In the interest of prime suspense, Mr. Welles and the producer of this series have scheduled four radio stories, which they feel are particularly distinguished in our chosen field. The first of these is The Most Dangerous Game by Richard Gunn. And so with the performance of Orson Welles in the character of General Zaroff and Keenan Wynn as Sanger Rainsford, 
who learned from Zara what was the most dangerous game, we again hope to keep you in suspense. moment now he may come in and when he does I'm going to kill him it's him or me and I'm going to do my best to make it him or maybe it sounds crazy to you I guess it does would have sounded crazy to me a few days ago when I was with Whitney on the yacht I was on a pleasure trip a pleasure trip how or I how could I or anyone realize then the horror and torment I was to go through how was I to know of Yvonne and the death swamp and the hounds how was I to know of Zaroff? Think of it. It was only four nights ago that the ship went down. We'd been talking about this island, Ship Trap Island, Whitney said it was called in the charts. It was sleepy and started on down below to turn in. I was mixing myself a nightcap when I looked up and saw it. A tremendous reef racing at us out of the fog. I screamed out a warning, but it was too late. We were right upon it. of the explosion hurled me into the blood-warm waters. Terrified at the suddenness and surprise, my stomach weak and sick at the thought of the others. The sea was eddying furiously around the sinking remnants of the ship. And a certain cool headedness came to me and made me swim desperately away. But I might not have lived to go through the horror which was soon to come. I struck out to the right in the direction of the island about which Whitney had been telling me. I had no recollection of how long I swam, but all at once I heard the muttering and growling of the sea breaking on the rocky shore. With my remaining strength, I dragged myself from the swirling waters. All in, gasping, my hands raw, I at last reached a flat place at the top. I flung myself down at the jungle edge and tumbled headlong into the deepest sleep of my life. When I awoke, I was in a strange place, having no idea how I had got Well, Ivan... Our friend seems to be awakening. I... Where, where is this? Where am I? Do not Where's be alarmed, my friend. My man Ivan found you out on the cliff. And brought you here to be taken care of. Well, thank God there's life on this island. I hardly believed. Few people do. Yes, you are quite safe here in my castle, Mr... Rainsford. Uh, Yes. Rainsford. I'm Sanger Rainsford of New York. Rainsford? Sanger Rainsford? Yes. Well, it is indeed a very great pleasure and honor to welcome you, Mr. Sanger Rainsford. You're the celebrated hunter, are you not? Yes, yes. You know me? Uh, by reputation only. I've read your book about hunting snow leopards in Tibet, you see. My name is General Zaroff. I am not English, Mr. Rainsford, but I went to a good school. Perhaps you recognize the colors of my tie. Uh, no, it makes no difference. I've lived too long in the jungle to be a snob. Well, I... <laughs> well, I can't tell you how happy I am to meet you, General. And I can't tell you how happy I am to meet you, Mr. Rainsford. 
And come, we shouldn't be chatting here. We can talk later. You must be hungry. Yes, I am, rather. What? Uh, Ivan thought you'd like a robe. He's drying your clothes for you. Oh, thank you. Ivan's an incredibly strong fellow, but you mustn't mind his looks. His ears were cut off in battle, and he has the misfortune to be deaf and dumb. He is sensitive about his appearance. A simple fellow, really, but I'm afraid a bit savage. Uh -huh. He's been in our family for years. Uh, 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 Follow Ivan, if you please, Mr. Rainsford. I was about to have my luncheon just before you awoke. You can have it together now. Does the robe fit you all right? Oh, yes, yes, perfectly, thanks. I'm so glad. You uh, have quite a collection of heads here. Lions, tigers, yeah. elephants, moose, bears. Oh, I don't believe I've ever seen a more perfect specimen. They are nice. I take great pride in them. You have good cause. Coming from you, Mr. Rainsford, that is a great compliment. And here we are. You sit over there. Thank you. Not at all. Right, Ivan? We do our best to preserve the amenities of civilization here. Please forgive many lapses. Of course. Yes. Well off the beaten track, you know. Uh, Shushu. 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 This is my little pet, Mr. Rainsford. As a hunting falcon, Shushu is of no further usefulness in the field. But I am fond of its company. My not little sweetheart. Patience, my darling. I know you're hungry, my dear. We hunt tonight. Your, uh, your heads are really remarkable, General. That, uh, that Cape Buffalo is the largest I've ever seen. Ah, uh, yes, that fellow. He's a monster. Mm, did he charge you? Hurled me against a tree, fractured my skull, left me the scar. And I got the brute. I've, uh, I've always thought the Cape Buffalo is the most dangerous of all games. Oh, uh, no, no, you're wrong. Wrong, sir. The Cape Buffalo is not the most dangerous game. Yvonne! The wine. Uh, how does he understand you? He reads my lips. Think you like this champagne, Mr. Rainsford? Ivan chills it expertly. Uh, no, no, the, the Cape of Buffalo is not the most dangerous game. Here in my preserve on this island, I hunt more dangerous game. Oh, is there a big game on this island? The biggest. Really? Oh, it isn't here naturally, of course. I have to stock the island. Uh, what have you imported, General? Uh, jaguars? Jaguars. I hope you like filet mignon, Mr. Ray. I do very much, thank you. Uh, is it jaguars, General? No, 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 no. Hunting jaguars ceased to interest me some years ago. I exhausted their possibilities, you see. I... No thrill left in jaguars, you understand. A real danger. I live for danger, Mr. Rainsford. We will have some capital hunting. You and I. I shall be most glad to have your company. Yes, but I'll okay. tell you, you'll be amused, I know. I think you may say in all modesty that I've done a rare thing. Yes, I've invented a new sensation. May I pour you another glass of champagne, Mr. Rainsford? Thank you, General. God makes some men poets. Some he makes kings, some beggars. Me, he made a hunter. My hand was made for the trigger. My father once said that. Made for the trigger. My whole life has been one prolonged hunt. I've hunted every kind of game in every land. It'd be impossible for me to tell you how many animals I've killed. Grizzlies in your Rockies, crocodiles in the Ganges, rhinoceroses in East Africa. This is in Africa, by the way. And that Cape Buffalo hit me and made me up for six months. Mm. As soon as I recovered, I started for the Amazon to hunt jaguars, for I'd heard they were unusually cunning. <laughs> they weren't. They were no match at all for a hunter with his wits about him.
the high-powered rifle. I was bitterly disappointed. I was lying in my tent with a splitting headache one night. A terrible thought pushed its way into my head. Hunting was beginning to bore me. And hunting, remember, had been my life. I've heard that in America, businessmen often go to pieces when they give up the business that's been their life. Yes, yes, that's uh, so. I, I had no wish to go to pieces. <laughs> I, I, I must do something. Uh, now, mine is an analytical mind, Mr. Rainsford. Doubtless... That is why I enjoy the problems of the chase. Oh, no doubt, General. So I asked myself why the hunt no longer fascinated me. You are much younger than I am, Mr. Rainsford, and have not hunted as much, but you perhaps can guess the answer. What is it? Simply this. Hunting had ceased to be what you call a sporting proposition. It had become too easy. I always got my quarry. Always. There's no greater bore than perfection. Cigarette? No, no thank you. Uh, no animal had a chance with me anymore. Not a chance. That is no boast. It is a mathematical certainty. The animal had nothing but his legs and his instinct. Instinct is no match for reason. When I thought of this, it was a tragic moment for me, I can tell you. It came to me as an inspiration. What I must do. And that was? I had to invent a new animal to hunt. new animal? Well, you're joking. Not at all. I never joke about hunting. I needed a new animal. I found one. So I bought this island, built this castle, and here I do my hunting. The island is perfect for my purposes. There are jungles with a maze of trails in them. Hills, swamps... Yes, but the animal... The animal, General Zara... It supplies me with the most exciting hunting in the world. No other hunting compares with it, for instance. Every day I hunt... I never grow bored now, for I have a quarry with which I can match my wits. Yes, but you still have I wanted the ideal animal to hunt, so I said, what are the attributes of an ideal quarry? And the answer was, of course, it must have courage, cunning, and above all, it must be able to reason. Well, no animal can reason. There is one that can. One? But you can't mean... And why not? Well, I... I can't believe you're serious, General Zarov. You're just joking. Joking? I'm quite serious. Speaking about hunting. Hunting? You're speaking about murder. Oh, dear me, that unpleasant word. I think I can show you that your scruples are quite ill-founded. Yes? I hunt the scum of the earth. Sailors from tramp ships, Laskars... Japs, mongrels, a thoroughbred horse, a hound is worth more than a score. But these are men. Precisely, that is why I use them. It gives me pleasure. They can reason after a fashion, so they are dangerous. But where do you get them? Uh, we visit my training school. It is in the cellar. I have about a dozen pupils down there now. They're from the Spanish park San Lucar that had the bad luck to go with the rocks out there. A very inferior lot, I regret to say. Poor specimens, more accustomed to the deck than to the jungle. Another glass? No. It's a game, you see. It's a sort of game. I, I suggest to one of them that we go hunting. I give him a supply of food and an excellent hunting knife. I give him three hours start. I'm to follow, armed only with a pistol of the smallest caliber and range. 
If my quarry eludes me for three whole days, he wins the game. If I find him, he loses. Suppose he refuses to be hunted. Oh, I give him his choice, of course. He need not play that game if he does not wish to. If he does not wish to hunt, I turn him over to Ivan. Ivan once had the honor of serving as official knouter to my old king, and he has his own ideas of sport. Invariably, Mr. Rainsford, invariably they choose the hunt. And if they win? Uh, to date, I have not lost. I do not wish you to think me a braggart, Mr. Rainsford. Many of them afford only the most elementary sort of problem, I assure you. Occasionally, I strike a Tartar. <laughs> Shuchu remembers the Tartar, don't you, darling? Yes, he almost did win. I eventually had to use the hounds. The hounds? Uh, yes, this way, please. I'll show you. You see? Wait a moment. I'll open the window. All right, that is the first portion of Suspense, the most dangerous game with Orson Welles from 1943. You know, with an Orson Welles, when someone was giving him a hard time, Lisa, you know you know what he would just say as a retort to that? Oh, well. Oh, Wells. I was really close. Man, you were close. I like that. <laughs> quick, 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 quick. I've kind of learned the Carlisle jokes. I, I'm pretty good at it by now. You yeah. know what I like better? What? You what? use the word retort. Yeah, retort. I like that. Yeah, hey. I have a uh, limited vocabulary, right. but there's a couple of big words in there. and so, uh -huh. I think you've yeah. expanded your vocabulary since we've met. I have. He added, <laughs> he added the re to torque? <laughs> you oh. got to remember, Roger, I my whole childhood was in a basement collecting classic radio shows. I know that. They would let me out just to go to school mm -hmm. and then lock, back, back lock me right back up into the basement. Into yeah. the dungeon. So I was in a in a dark basement collecting these shows, cataloging them and everything like that. With so, the spider webs. Yeah. And yeah. so I didn't really get to live a childhood. Yeah, I know. And, <laughs> so, and you now know? you're It's really trying. sad. It's very sad you know, It's so sad. It really is a sad, feel, feel it's a sad for you, existence. Yeah. yeah. Well, well, you're making up for it now. Else. I don't know what I'm... <laughs> 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 All right. Stay tuned. Uh, we got a quick break. Then it's uh, news and more of suspense. Back to WGN Radio Theater with Earl Amari and Lisa Wolf. Hey, Roger. Yeah. I was uh, driving here with Lisa. I told her that I saw two movies this week. While you were driving, you saw the two movies? Oh, I'm sorry. I saw two, okay. two yeah. movies. One at the theater with Johnny. We saw um, the uh, one of the best movies I've seen in a long, long time, Rocket Man. I still have that. yet to see it. That's the Phenomenal. Open Phenomenal. Right. Phenomenal. Yeah. Lisa, have you seen it? You asked me that. Yeah, but did you say you saw it or not? I said I heard it was great, but oh. I haven't seen so, it. So, did you see it, Curtis? Hang on, Curtis. What are you on? Six? Six. I'm over here. What, did you see <laughs> it? Yes, I have seen it. What did you think it. of Rocket Man? I loved it. Even though, it so good. Even though I was born after the Rocket Man era, yeah. uh, I still loved it. I thought yeah. it was great. And then uh, we watched a uh, on-demand movie, uh -huh. and this one, Best Picture, but I just, for some reason, I just thought, 
you know, I wasn't excited about seeing Green Book. I mean, it just didn't seem like That's it seemed like a, a drama, kind of a drama. Yeah, and, and last I, years. You know, yeah. and I like like action films and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, let's watch it. Wow, was that a great movie. really? Oh my gosh! Life is good. If you have not seen Green Book, folks, that is one heck of a great movie. That was last year, right? Yeah, yeah I just one said in that. eighteen. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, fantastic nice. movie. You've not seen either one of these movies I'm talking about? I right have not. My, uh, not. my wife has. Uh, uh-huh. She goes to the movies a lot more often than I do. I have. I really don't go to Gives the movie Gives her a chance to anymore. get away from you for a little while, huh? Boy, man, a little while, please. <laughs> Just a couple uh, hours. <laughs> she stays and watches all the movies in the all the theaters. No, uh, but, but I have <laughs> I have this thing about being in movie They're like theaters. I just Mrs. Really Baddish, the theater is closing. Could you please go home now? She tells him to go ahead. She'll lock up. <laughs> um, but uh, really, I, I just uh, I I spend more time worrying about people pulling out their phones and yeah. or talking or mm-hmm. coming late mm-hmm. to the movie with their kids in an right. R-rated movie or something like that. You know, it's just I've lost the theater going experience. I just don't like it anymore. You lost that yeah. loving theater feeling. Right. Okay. Uh, so I usually wait until it's on Amazon and I'll watch it later. Okay. Yeah. But right. I, yeah. Bridget has seen Rocket Man, and I, right. I, and when I, she said she saw it, I go. Oh, I wanted to go see that with you. So good. And she says, I want to see it again. Mm-hmm. So we'll see. It was it really, yeah. I mean, it was a real musical. I mean, they break out in song. Like, you know, there's a, like drama going on, and all of a mm-hmm. sudden they break out into That's song. That's what a musical it's is. Really, it's yeah. nice yeah. musical, right? Well, I'm saying, you know, you would think that He's I would. familiar with the musicals. You yeah, would right. think that I would not like that, right? Right. Uh-huh. right. But I loved it. Right. So you're fantastic. turning over a new leaf, Maybe Carl. Yeah. Look at that. Yeah. You're growing up. Yeah. yeah. You know what? Who says maybe you I, can't teach an old may, dog new Maybe trick. I need to make like a tree and leave. You know what I mean, Roger? Yeah, that came so out f- out from left field that uh-huh. you were in the parking lot. That's <laughs> it caught it over uh, over the fence. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you were on Sheffield. <laughs> uh, all right, well, we're listening. Are you enjoying this uh, suspense it. with well, Orson Welles and Keenan Wynn? Th- I taught this story as part of our short story unit in high school wow. to a freshman class. Oh, yeah. So I know the story very yeah. well. And yeah. it is by Richard Connell. It's mm-hmm. who they said yeah. in the beginning. So. Yeah. Uh, There you go. All right, let's go back now for the conclusion to Suspense. Hello, boys! (laughs) (laughs) Rather good lot, I think. They're let out at seven every night. Anyone should try to get into my castle or out of it. Something extremely regrettable to occur to me. But enough of this. Come, I'll show you a collection of heads I'm quite sure you've never seen before. Join in the library for coffee. I uh, hope that you will excuse me tonight, General. Oh. I'm really not feeling well at all. Indeed. I know what it is. My old complaint. <laughs> On you, we boredom. You need some excitement. Tonight, we'll haunt. Hey, Mr. Rainsford. You and I. You're wrong, General. I won't hunt. I won't murder. As you wish, my friend. The choice rests entirely with you. But may I not venture to suggest that you will find my idea of sport more diverting than Ivan's? My dear fellow. You don't mean that you plan to hunt me. My dear fellow. Have I not told you? I always mean what I say about hunting. 
This is really an inspiration. I drink to a foeman worthy of my steel at last. Excellent. I simply can't believe it. This must be some sort of dream. You'll find the game worth playing, Mr. Rainsford. Think of it, your brain against mine, your woodcraft against mine, your strength, your stamina against mine. Outdoor chess. <laughs> and the stake is not without value, eh? And if I win... I'll cheerfully acknowledge myself defeated if I do not find you by midnight of the third day. My sloop will place you on the mainland near a town. Or you can trust me. and give you my word as a gentleman and a sportsman. Of course, you in turn must agree to say nothing of your visit here. I will agree to nothing of the kind. Oh. Well, in that case... But why discuss that now? Uh, three days hence, we can discuss it over a bottle of Veuve Clicquot, unless... Uh... Well, your choice, Mr. Rainsford. I'm a hunter. You know my choice. Ivan mm -hmm. here will supply you with hunting clothes, food, and knife. I suggest you wear moccasins. They leave a poorer trail. I suggest, too, that you avoid the big swamp in the southeast corner of the island. We call it Death Swamp. This quicksand there. Well, I must beg you to excuse me now. We always take our siesta after our lunch. Don't we, Shushu? <laughs> Come, my little pet. You'll hardly have time for a nap, I fear, Mr. Rainsford. Uh, you, you'll want to start, of course. I shall not follow till dusk. Hunting at night is so much more exciting than by day, don't you think? <clears throat> well... Au revoir, Mr. Rainsford. Au revoir. I... <laughs> I'd fought my way through the bush for two hours, repeating to myself over and over again, I must keep my nerve, I must keep my nerve. My whole idea at first was to put distance between myself and General Zarov. And to this end, I had plunged along through the thicket spurred on by the sharp rowls of something very much like panic. Now I had got a grip on myself. I'd stopped. I was taking stock of the situation. I saw that straight flight was futile. Inevitably, it would bring me face to face with the sea. Well, I'll give him a trail, I muttered. And I struck off from the rude path I had been following and into the trackless wilderness. I made a series of intricate loops. I doubled back on my trail again and again, recalling all the lore of the fox hunt, all the dodges of the fox. Night found me exhausted, my hands and face lashed by the branches on a thickly wooded ridge. My need for rest was imperative, and I thought, I played the fox, now I must play the cat of the fable. A big tree with a thick trunk and outspread branches was nearby, and taking care not to leave the slightest mark, I climbed up and stretched out among the broad limbs. Rest brought me new confidence and almost a feeling of security. Even so expert a hunter as General Zaroff cannot trace me here, I assured myself. An apprehensive night crawled slowly by, my mind keenly alert for any sound, any warning. Towards the dawn, an instinct I never knew existed, like an animal must possess, impelled me to look far off in the distance in a westerly direction. Sure enough, following the trail with the sureness of a bloodhound came General Zaroff. Nothing escaped those searching black eyes. No crushed blade of grass, no bent twig, no mark, no matter how fine in the moss. My heart pounding furiously, I slid down quickly from the tree and struck off again into the woods. I knew I had to do something desperate. I knew that I had little time in which to do it. And 300 yards from my hiding place, I stopped where a huge dead tree leaned precariously on a smaller living one. Throwing off my sack of food, I took my knife from its sheath and began to work with all my energy. The job was finished at last. And I threw myself down behind a fallen log 300 feet away. I did not have to wait long. 
Thanks, my darling. You'll be fed. Rainsford. Rainsford. sound of my voice. As I suppose you are, let me congratulate you. Not many men know how to make a Maline man-catcher. Luckily for me, I too have hunted in Malacca. You are proving interesting, Mr. Rainsford. Mm. Very interesting. The tree brushed my shoulders. I jumped back. I'm going to have the wound rest. It's only slight. But I shall be back, Mr. Rainsford. I shall be back. It was flight now, a desperate, hopeless flight that carried me on for hours. I don't know where I got the strength. I kept telling myself over and over again that I must keep my nerve. That I was competing with a monster, a super huntsman. Dust came, then darkness, and still I managed to press on. The ground grew softer under my moccasins. The vegetation grew ranker and denser. Insects bit at me savagely. Suddenly, as I stepped forward, my foot sank into the ooze. I tried to wrench it back, but the muck sucked viciously at my foot like a giant leech. With a violent effort, I tore my foot loose. I knew where I was then. Death swamp and its quicksand. The softness of the earth had given me an idea. I stepped back from the quicksand a dozen feet or so and began to dig. When the pit was above my shoulders, I climbed out and from some hard saplings cut stakes and sharpened them to fine points. These stakes I planted in the bottom of the pit with the points sticking upwards. As fast as I could, I wove a rough carpet of weeds and branches and with it covered the mouth of the pit. And wet with sweat and aching with tiredness, I crouched behind the stump of a lightning-charmed tree. Oh, I knew Zaroff was coming. I could hear the paddling sound of his feet in the soft earth. Zaroff was coming, and coming fast. He was not feeling his way along, foot by foot. Crouching there, I couldn't either see him nor see the pit. I lived a year and a minute, frozen, every muscle tensed. my whole pack. I'm going back to get them now. Thank you for a most amusing evening. <laughs> At daybreak, lying near the swamp, I was awakened by a sound that made me know I had new things to learn about fear. It was a distant sound, faint and wavering, but I knew it. It was the baying of a pack of hounds. I could do one of two things. I could stay where I was and wait. That was suicide. I could flee. That was postponing the inevitable. I had put my very last hope into that tiger pit. For a moment I stood there thinking. 
All at once, an idea that held a wild chance came to me, and tightening my belt, I headed away from the swamp. The baying of the hounds drew nearer. They would be on me any minute now. My mind worked frantically. I thought of a native trick I had learned in Uganda. I caught hold of a springy young sapling, and to it fastened my hunting knife with the blade pointing down the trail. With a bit of wild grapevine, I tied back the sapling. Then I ran for my life. I knew then how an animal at bay feels. At last I had to stop to get my breath. The baying of the hounds stopped just as suddenly. And with it, my heart stopped too. They must have reached the knife. Excitedly, I shinned up a tree and looked back. My pursuers had stopped all right. But the hope that had been in my brain when I climbed died. For in the shallow valley, I saw that General Zaroff was still on his feet. But I was not. Apparently, he had come along to hold the hounds. The knife, driven by the recoil of the springing tree, had splintered through his chest. I'd hardly tumbled to the ground when the pack took up the cry again. Nerve, 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 I panted as I dashed around. A blue gap showed between the trees dead ahead. The hounds were almost on top of me. I forced myself on towards that gap. I reached it. It was the shore of the sea. Across the cove, I could see the gloomy gray stone of the castle. Twenty feet below me, the sea rumbled and hissed. I hesitated. I heard the hounds. Then I leaped far out into the sea. good to me. And I'm here safe in the general's bedroom waiting for him. Three days are up, and I've eluded him. But now I must go further. In a moment, we will meet, he and I, and he will be unarmed. Only one of us is going to live. You understand that now. Uh, quiet, Shushu. Shushu! You must be patient, dear. You must forgive me. You're hungry, I know. <laughs> Shush. Rainsford. General. Rainsford. How on earth did you get here? Swam. I found it easier and quicker than walking through the jungle. I congratulate you. Destroy You've won the game. Oh, no, General. I'm still a beast at bay, here. Get ready, General Zaroff. Swords? Yes, two of them. I see. Oh, very good. Very good, Rainsford. One of us, then, is to furnish a repast for the hounds. The other will sleep in this... this very excellent bed. Huh. Excellent. On guard, Rainsford.
just as my late host said it would be. A very excellent bed. And so closes The Most Dangerous Game by Richard Connell, starring Orson Welles. Tonight's tale of suspense. Mr. Wells was General Zaroff and Keenan Wynn, Rainsford. This is your narrator, the man in black, who conveys to you Columbia's invitation to spend this half hour in suspense next week, same time, when Orson Welles will again be our star in Sir Arthur Conan Doyle's story, The Lost Special. The producer of suspense is William Spear, who tonight also directed the broadcast. And who with Bernard Herman, the conductor, Lucian Marowick, composed the original score, and Private Jack Anson Fink, the radio author, collaborated on tonight's Suspense. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. Oh, wow. Great show. That was Suspense with The Most Dangerous Game from September 23rd, 1943. Orson Welles starring in there. And you heard the announcer talk about the fact that Orson Welles was uh, going to be on the next uh, four episodes. So this particular episode and three more episodes. And uh, they talked about the Lost Special being next week. And I believe the next two weeks, off the top of my head, was uh, The Lazarus Effect and then also The Hitchhiker, which was a very famous story by um, uh, by Lucille Fletcher. And uh, she also wrote Sorry, Wrong Number. And Orson Welles appeared on Suspense many, many times. But this was a four-week-in-a-row engagement. He must have had, you know, uh, some time on his hands. Maybe he was not doing a play because he was doing a lot of plays at this time. And also movies. He had already produced Citizen Kane. He, so he was very busy making movies. He was doing his Broadway and, of course, appearing on radio. And he enjoyed being on suspense. And Bernard Herman did the music on this program. And Bernard Herman was married to Lucille Fletcher. They were, they were husband and wife. Um, also, Keenan Wynn on this particular broadcast. And the announcer, the man in black, Joseph Kearns, he was... Mr. Wilson on Dennis the Menace. There was two Mr. Wilsons, Gail Gordon, mm-hmm. who of course was you know Lucille Ball's foil for years, and uh, Joseph Kearns, the Man in Black, on this particular episode.